Hi and welcome to Be More Super, the podcast. I'm Brian, your host, and this week, amongst all the craziness that's happening in the world at the moment with the coronavirus, we've got a great guest on the podcast. It's the wonderful Thomas Jane. Thomas Jane has starred in many, many hits uh, from The Predator to The Mist, Deep Blue Sea, and my personal favourite, he played Frank Castle in The Punisher. So sit back and relax and enjoy this episode. And remember, if you did like it, please like, subscribe and share the love with all your friends and look forward to the uh, upcoming guests like John Snyder, who I'm going to be recording with in the next couple of days, the star of Dukes of Hazard and Smallville. And of course, this episode is brought to you by the wonderful people at Prop Store of London. So hop over to their website, propstore.com and check out all the stuff they've got because they've got a great sale on and the payment plans are back on the table. So now you can afford, you know, anything that you'd like. You can pay it off over two months to six months. So why not pop over to propstore.com and check it out. So sit back, relax and enjoy the episode. Welcome to Be More Super, the podcast. Up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. An action-packed podcast where we'll discuss all things entertainment. They're the answer to are we alone in the universe? Conventions, prop collecting, cosplay, interviews, reviews, and so much more. The show starts with host Brian Gardner right now. Mr. Thomas Jane, how the hell are you? Where are you, Brian? I am in the UK. I'm in, well, mm-hmm. sunny England, but it's one o'clock in the morning right now. Um, yeah. And it's supposed to be a scorcher tomorrow, but the only thing I'm concerned about is the uh, the dimwits that don't get the fact of social distancing and... You know, staying mm-hmm. indoors. You know, we've got to lock down. Right. We've got to avoid each yeah. other. That's why we're staying inside and uh, avoiding the dimwits, I would think, right? <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, I've got to still work. I've got to work at, um, you know, in in about five and a half hours, I've got to leave for work. And I've got to say, oh. it's so frustrating seeing people just not, you know, abiding by the rules. But, hey, you uh, know. How do you get... How do you get to work, Brian? Do you drive or do you take the train? No, 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 I drive. I live about six yeah. minutes away from work, so it's not uh-huh. that bad. Well, that's good. And at least you're in a car. You know, exactly. Isolated. Yeah, exactly. Are, are they even running the trains? Do the trains even run right now? Um, yeah, so public transport is still working. Um, <laughs> you can only travel now to work uh, if you can't yeah. work from home. Yeah. Um, right. But... You, you know, you, you're seeing a lot of people out walking. Uh, they're allowed, um, you know, daily exercise, but you are seeing parks with people still gathering, which the police right. are trying to uh, curb. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But- yeah, same here in Angeles. Uh, I live in Silver Lake, which is a few minutes from downtown L.A., yeah. and there's a lot of really nice little parks and it's a beautiful part of the city. There's a lot of foliage, greenery, hills, hiking paths. Uh, you know, uh, there's a we have, of course, Silver Lake, which people run around all the time. And uh, we're not. There's a lot of dimwits who aren't 
respecting the social distancing uh, here either. They shut, they did shut down the parks. um, But of course people still wander out. The city's so big. We don't really have enough people to properly patrol anything. But I, I heard, uh, you know, people are saying stuff like the next jogger that comes up behind me, I'm going to trip him. (laughs) Yeah. Thing is, though, I mean, you know, we're getting a lot of people that unfortunately are getting in their cars and traveling 50 miles um, to the sea, you know, to the seaside um, to have a little holiday because it's bank holiday this weekend in the UK. So everyone's just being mad. But hey, do you know what? Out of all this madness, uh, it's it's people like yourself that are giving up the time uh, to do an interview on my podcast. So hopefully uh, to get people's minds off things for a short time and uh, to be entertained. So, uh, so Thomas Jane, you were born in Baltimore in Maryland, which I've, I've been to quite a few times. Um, it's a wonderful place. Uh, it's got a wonderful submarine in the harbour, which I've been mm-hmm. been on a couple of times, and it's the home of the good old Bal- yep. Baltimore Ravens, uh, the, fo- yep. the the football team. Uh, and it's got a, a wonderful crime rate. Uh, <laughs> to be for, honest, for I, I felt safe there. In all fairness, but oh, yeah, sure. But for a while there, we were the number one uh, murder murder capital, and it would switch back between us, Washington D.C., and I think Detroit. Yeah, but for a while there, Baltimore was up there at the top. It was a um, Great town, portside town, you know, and uh, that's where I learned how to eat oysters and clams. Yeah, and uh, crab, of course, Maryland crab is, um, I oh. think, best in the world. It's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I went up so, to uh, Del- I, w- I went up to Delaware, and on 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 the way up there, we stopped off at a few places and uh, tasted the good old crabs. Uh, but what was it like grow, grow, growing up in Baltimore? Um, it well, would have been in the 70s, the late 70s, that you would have been, I suppose, right. you know, realised that where you was. <laughs> but was it a good place to grow up? Because obviously you left, but, you know, grow, growing up as a kid in Baltimore, was it a great experience? I tell you, I was born in an army hospital, um, Fort Meade. Oh, right. I think they down since then. I would cost about $3.49 to be born because my mom and dad were both in the army. They were in a mass unit. They were actually in a mass unit in Vietnam. Oh, wow. Uh, my dad, my, my, they came home. My mom was working at the hospital. My dad um, uh, wanted to go back to do a second tour of Vietnam. Yeah. And uh, but, um, and, and flipped a coin with a guy. There was one more spot. And he flipped a coin with a guy and lost. And so he got my mom pregnant (laughs) (laughs) and, uh, you know, stayed here. And after we were, after I was born, we bounced around Maryland. We lived near Pennsylvania, Cockeysville. Uh, You know, we we lived uh, uh, Gaithersburg, uh, uh, Germantown. We we lived, we moved around a lot. Uh, My mom was also a Navy, her dad was a career Navy man. So they, bounced all around all over the world my mom grew up in japan and germany um finally settled in alabama um so we were never we were restless we were a restless young family we could never really stay in one one spot at the same time so after i was um born in baltimore we actually bounced around all over maryland and then ended up 
uh, in Rockville. Um, well, it's sort of the suburbs, uh, you know, when back then it was just kind of farmland with, with suburbs uh, and beautiful. It was a, actually an amazing place to grow up because once I turned 16, me and all my friends bought Camaros, Camaros. Uh, I had a, I had a 73, my buddy had a 68. He had more money. He came, his family came from a little bit of money. So he had a cherry 68 convertible, uh, Camaro. And my other buddy had a 79, uh, and we used to go down to the Dulles, Dulles Airport is a, outside of Washington, D.C., and we'd drive out there to the Dulles Access Road, which uh, is a, just a straightaway stretch of five miles of blacktop, and we would race the fuck out of these cars. Wow. You know? The American cars are great at going straight. You don't want to go around on a track, right? And they're, they, don't, yeah. they don't handle that well, but for going straight, they're just so much fun, and that, that was kind of my – my teenage years in sort of the suburbs, uh, farmland of uh, of Maryland, and uh, I had a blast. It was a it was a you know uh, really great place to grow up. Uh, there was fishing and woods. There's a lot of a lot of nature, a lot of woods. You know, um, a lot of fishing, a lot of hunting. Um, and I and I'm you know feel bad. My daughter has grown up in the city here in L.A. because yeah. her her mom's an actress and. Her family is all here, so I never did get to give her that experience, but I think it's a hell of a lot better than growing up in the city, to tell you the truth. Yeah. I mean, when you were small, when you, when you was a, a young boy, what did you want to do when you was older, uh, you know, when you were older? Did you always right. want to be an actor, or did you want to be something else? Nobody really... Um, um, figures that out. I, I you know, I, you know, what what was amazing to me was that I look I I I uh, I was a troubled teenager, so I spent a lot of time out of the house. You know, the yeah. more time I spent out of the house, the better. Um, so I started. So I played a lot of football. Okay, cool. Um, <laughs> and then I um, also was really into uh, you know the art class. And the kids in the art class were all part of the theater group. And this was when I was in ninth grade. And they were a part of the theater group. And then they said, you know, I was like, what do you guys do? Well, we build sets. You know, we paint, we construct shit, we build shit, you know, we play around with lights. I was like, this sounds fucking great, you know. So I got involved in the after school. So instead of going home, I would hang out at the theater uh, of our high school and and do exactly that you know uh, we had a whole construction team and a paint team and and we were building the sets for a play i didn't even know what play it was and then i was always goofing off and cutting up and and uh they were like you know what it would be really funny is if you auditioned for the play and got a part in it and then ruined it like on <laughs> opening night you could see, you know we came up with all these hilarious things that we would do to ruin the play that they were rehearsing and that we were building the sets for yeah so i was like let's do it so i did i auditioned for the play i got a part <laughs> and then we were we were just so excited about how we were going to have this amazing chaotic opening night of the uh theater um but as i was rehearsing and as i started hanging out with the theater kids and the director you know, then I went to my carpenter boys and I was like, you know, I, I don't, I think we just want to do the play. <laughs> <laughs> play sounds really great, you know, and, and that, and that's what, a, that's what kicked it off for me. I, after that, I was an actor, you know, I just knew I was, uh, what was I, 14? 
maybe 15 and uh actually left the house you know soon after that i um got a job at uh um hardware store sweeping floors and i also um dropped out of high school um because i was like why am i going to high school to learn all this crap when i already know what i want to do you know none of my friends none of my friends had figured out what they wanted to do with their lives um but i knew you know and i was committed i was like this is what i want to do uh so i stopped going to high school and uh, my mom my mom's neighbor said you know she's you know over the fence right like my my boy fucking won't go to school i don't know what to do (laughs) with him and then and he wants to be an actor of all things you know we're in the suburbs of maryland and she goes well you know i actually work right next to an acting class uh in bethesda and it's above a liquor store <laughs> um but you know it's just the maryland academy of dramatic arts so i enrolled there i met a fantastic guy named ralph tabakin who was an old guy he'd done vaudeville he'd done radio he'd done broadway he'd done movies he was in barry levinson's films you can see him in wag the dog uh you can see him in diner you can see him in you know young sherlock holmes he great great character actor yeah. uh, and he he taught me the ropes, um, literally. Uh, you know, he he said I had a funny way of walking. I shuffled my feet, and my hair was in my eyes, and I was a very shy kid. And, and he goes, and he goes, Tom, you have you got to learn how to walk. You know, so he got this rope, and he and he put a loop on each end of the rope, a loop, and then some rope, and then another loop, and he hung it on a nail on stage. And every time I got up on stage. I have to take that rope off and put one loop around one foot, the other loop around the other. And that would teach me how to walk. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, uh, so, so I'm sweeping the floors uh, at the hard- Heckinger's, the hardware store. And I get a phone call there on the payphone. Uh, and it's Ralph. And Ralph says, uh, listen, there's some uh, um, Indians and they're making an Indian movie, and they want you to audit. I said, well, well, back up. First of all, Indians? Like like cowboys and Indians? No, 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 with the dot. <laughs> the guys with the dot, you know, they're in town, and they're making an Indian movie, and, and they want, they're looking for this uh, kid. They're looking for, you know, a white kid <laughs> with blonde hair, blue eyes. Go down there and uh, to uh, star in this movie. I was like, but Ralph, uh, I can't do it. Why? Why the hell not? Because I I don't have blue eyes. My my eyes are green. Ralph. He goes, you got blue eyes now, pal. You go down there and you go get the part. And when you do, you give me ten percent. <laughs> he goes because I'm you know I'm your I'm acting like your agent like right now. Yeah. I mean, I've seen I've seen footage of a bit of footage from from that Bollywood uh, you know film that you did, and I've got to say you've got some moves. Uh, did you expect to be dancing that much? Ah, I had no idea, man. <laughs> I had no idea that it was a, that Bollywood. Every five minutes, they want to sing or yeah. dance or both. I was like, and movies go on forever. They're like three hours long. I know, yeah, and 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 they make movies like every other day. It's like the fastest industry over, over in Indi- India. It's amazing. I mean, what, Change. what, what, what were the biggest obstacles that you faced? You know, getting into acting um, in the industry, uh, getting a job. Um, uh, I mean, all of it. You know, uh, it is one of the most daunting 
sort of uh, endeavors, you know, when you find when you get into it. You know, I would go to I would go to casting calls, and there would be literally four hundred people standing in line. Yeah, you know, um, and learning how to audition. You know, uh, get up in front of a group of strangers, and you've got sixty seconds to you know do something amazing. Um, and then thank you. Goodbye. Uh, you know, laying awake at night and going, what the hell am I doing? Not wanting to get a full-time job because I knew that if I did get a job that I'd have to, um, you know, quit and, and go do an acting, you know, so I, so I was a Mongolian barbecue chef, <laughs> you know, I, yeah. I, I, swept, I swept up the floors at sex clubs, you know, <laughs> after they closed at four, four in the morning, you know, I, I handed out balloons. Um, I mean, I, you know, I, I trimmed trees. I, 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 you know, I slung coffee for a long time. You know, I was a coffee, I was a coffee barista. Yeah. And did you uh, ever want to give up at any point or was it, was, were, you know, were you driving forwards all the time? There's always, I mean, for me, you go through a dark night of the soul, um, you know, and periodically yeah. where you, you're laying, where I would lay in bed at night. And uh, it would be two o'clock in the morning. But I stare at the ceiling and go, "What am I doing? What am I doing?" You know. But you, did, I, but you didn't give up, and and you're here now, uh, is featured in 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 many many movies and TV programs. I mean, you're a busy you're a busy man, Thomas. Absolutely busy. Am I? Not only no. acting. Well, not at the moment. Well, I don't know. You might you might might be with the lockdown. <laughs> um, but you are a busy man. Um, but you've also had the time to start your own company as well, uh, Raw mm. Raw Studios. Um, yep. So for all the listeners that may not know what Raw Studios are, what exactly do the stu- stu- studio do? I'll tell you, Raw, Raw Studios. I started about ten years ago, and we had a blast. We um, I got to work. I'm a, always been a huge comic book, guy. always been a huge comic book guy. So. Um, I was able to, after I did the Punisher, meet a whole lot of my heroes in the comic book industry. And so I started a company and we, uh, all worked together, me and Tim Bradstreet, who is actually does all, did all the Punisher covers, all the great ones. Yeah. Um, you Google Bradstreet, you'll see what an artist he is. And then, uh, Steve Niles, who, uh, actually we came from Washington, both came from the Washington DC punk rock scene. Okay. I had seen Steve Niles in his in his uh, band down at a crappy little uh, bar, um, and his his band was called Gray Matter, and I actually had one of his little uh, you know uh, what are they called? They're not forty fives, but they're like seventy five. I forget now. Um, you know, in between an LP and a forty five, there's there's a middle an, one, an EP. <laughs> EP, an EP, and yeah. I I had his record, so we hooked up. And that was really fun. And we had a good time for a number of years uh, writing and producing our own comic books. And we did four of them. Um, and we, you know, we did several Bad Planets, which is a sci-fi thing. Yep. We did, uh, we did a, several uh, Alien Pig Farm 3000. <laughs> uh, so fun. We just had a blast. And, um, and then uh, I actually have one more book that I'm trying to uh, get going. It's a it's a uh, werewolf book called The Lichen, and it's a really great script. Uh, um, Is that the one that you're eventually wanting to put out as a, you know, a series or a movie? I don't know. You know, I mean, yeah, of course, yeah, I do. I do think it would make a wonderful, uh, you know, uh, production. But right now, I just want to. 
um, looking for an artist for a number of years. The problem is the artists, I'm very picky and the artists I love are all under contract, you know, to either Marvel or one of the big companies. And and the, the, uh, what's the tricky part is to get that sweet spot where the guy is talented enough that he's going to be working for Marvel or DC, but he hasn't done so yet. So it's that little sweet spot where I could grab an artist and, and get that going. And I've had a couple of false starts, you know, where I've had the artist, but then the artist for whatever reason fell out. I actually have two issues completed, but now I think I'm going to have to start from scratch because I want the art to be continuous. You know, I don't want it to jump around from artist to artist. So, yeah. Um, but that was a, primarily what that was about. Was that's Raw Studios, and you can go to rawstudios.com and you can see we have actually a very lively forum that's been going on for 10, 12 years now. Uh, and there's a lot of people on there, and they talk about all kinds of shit, you know, uh, from movies uh, to everything. Not you know, comic books and movies, and and it's a really fun little uh, little forum. And uh, and um, now. What, what my new venture is I just started a new production company called Renegade. Yep. Now, Renegade is all movies and television. Um, and uh, we actually acquired the rights to Stephen King's uh, novel from a Buick 8, which he wrote in 2003, right after 9-11. So uh, it's a very cool story. And we've got uh, – we just signed on a A-level director – and uh, and some terrific writers, and of course, you know, right as we were going to go pitch um, the Netflixes, Amazons, Hulu's, Apples of the world, uh, we all got shut down. So we're just uh, basically everybody's on hold, and we're waiting for everything to, for uh, waiting for the lockdown to end, so we can go sell this thing. But we've got, but that's exciting, and then we've got two or three other. Um, television and film projects. So we've actually had some good success with Renegade. Yeah. And uh, that is the focus of my, uh, you know, of the next 10 years of my life. Excellent. So talking about the last 10 years, well, a bit further back, um, The Punisher, absolutely one of my favourite movies of all time. I even Mm. uh, got the wife to sit down and watch it. She doesn't normally like action movies. Yeah. (laughs) She loved it. She loved it. So, uh, yeah, you've got my wife's uh, approval. Shell absolutely loved it. But for me, it's probably one of the, my favourite Marvel movies mm. of all time. It really, really is. Only because I, I, I'm i getting tired of seeing... I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm a massive Superman fan uh, since I was born. Um, yeah. But I like the gritty, the real mov- movies where someone hasn't right. got superpowers. You know, right. they get right. hurt, they get knocked down, and it's a yep. bit like a Rocky story. And with the Punisher, um, apparently you turned it down a couple a couple of times, and then you you took the part. What changed your your mind about it? Well, that's exactly uh, well. You just said it. I, I I I love comic books, and I always have. Yeah, but my collection of comics is all science. It's all sci-fi. It's all horror. It's western. It's crime. Yeah, uh, I was a huge fan of EC Comics. Uh, these are just they were they were more mature stories, you know, uh, and and they 
had a beginning, middle, and end. You know, they were short stories, you know, or, or if they did go on, they were, you know, uh, like I'm a huge fan of Ed Brubaker's Criminal, you know, uh, stuff like that. I'm also a huge fan of Daniel Close, you know, uh, Charles Burns, you know, uh, any, anybody with a, a point of view that's unique. That's what, for me, comics is. It's not um, a soap opera in four colors. It, it's uh, with people, you know, uh, people with extraordinary powers. Uh, I just personally never... That wasn't my uh, wasn't my jam. So when they offered me the Punisher, Marvel superhero, I said, I, um, uh, "It's not my thing." You know, I, I just don't feel like I, you know, want to give everything that it deserves because I'm sure people love it and they deserve, you know, somebody who loves it. And um, and then uh, they came back to me and they're like, "Well, well why not?" And they're like, "Well, he's done a superhero movie." And then they, they explained to me that the Punisher, Frank, is not a, a superhero. Um, and then they sent me some of the Bradstreet, uh, cover comic books, right. With the Bradstreet covers. And when I saw the Bradstreet covers, I saw what the movie could be, which is gritty, uh, in in much closer to the realm of, um, you know, a Martin Scorsese film than, uh, a comic book movie like Howard the Duck. Yeah. (laughs) Um, uh, and that is what we um, attempted to do. You know, uh, they were and, uh, the battle for me was always that they were tr- introducing elements that I thought were a little goofy, um, and, and because it was based on the Garth Ennis uh, book, uh, which is all fine. But uh, uh, my my personal, you know, I was constantly going you know, gr- grittier, more real. Like this is what this this is what this is why people love this. You know, yeah, and they were trying to um, uh, walk the line between a certain grittiness and a certain idea of what a com- quote comic book movie end quote should be. Um, but I think, and it was the only R rated, you know, um, Marvel movie that they'd done at the time. I think they did a couple more, but now they, now they've sworn off R rated. Um, although I think now, uh, recently, uh, Disney is now promising to make the new Punisher movie R rated. Um, well, we'll so see on that, that one. <laughs> right. So we were kind of the ugly duckling in the collection, right? Yeah. And it's, right. So we're the sort of the outlier, uh, Marvel movie. And I'm proud of that. Oh, no, it was, you know, you, you know, what? it's nice to see, as they say in America, R-rated or 18-rated here in the UK. And it's nice for a gritty movie for adults to enjoy from the Marvel Universe. And in the movie, I think you use every weapon known to man, from a bow to a knife to guns. I mean, what sort of training did you do beforehand in the way of the weapons and everything like that? Because for me in the UK, we don't use guns. So for me, it's just fascination when I see all 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 these guns. How did you learn to use them? Did you have the training beforehand, I presume? We had. That was a, probably the, my favorite part of the whole uh, Punisher experience was the training. You know, I had I had a great trainer and Christine Hazelton who kicked my ass um, muscle-wise. And then, yeah. I, and I switched to another trainer uh, at the behest of uh, Marvel uh, who, who, was, who was, I think he was a, a SEAL. Um, I started training with a Navy SEAL and then I got a couple of guys who actually did the actual weapons training and that, that was, and, and those guys were, were Navy SEALs. So I was being trained by the best of the best. Yeah. Um, and in a, you know, a short period of time, 
and that's part of the actor's challenge. You know, you got to be able to pick stuff up quickly, yeah. Uh, put it in your body and be able to execute it. You know, um, but that those those guys, those guys, you know, they're the sweetest. You meet them, they're the nicest guys. You'd never think that they could, you know. Uh, break your neck with with, with uh, you know uh, three fingers, but they, but they could. Yeah, can it, yeah, um, can very I, cool. I um, intensive training every day. You know, you got to go for it. You know, get in it, go for it, give it everything you got. And I uh, heard a um, I heard a funny story that you apparently I don't know if this is true. You apparently actually stabbed Kevin Nash. Is this mm-hmm. right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> you sound proud. <laughs> well, uh, no, it was a no. horrible, horrible was moment. Uh, uh, you know, the, and this happens, you know, it's not, there's nobody to blame, but, you know, because you're, when you reset a scene and you're doing a scene and you do it and everything gets all fucked up and then everybody comes in and resets the set and the prop guy comes in and puts the knife back where it's supposed to be and puts this and that, you know. So just on one take, prop guy had left the real knife and had forgot to oh, trade man. out the the um you know the, the fake the, the rubber knife yeah and of course i grabbed it like it was a rubber knife and stabbed him <laughs> like it was a knife and it and it i stabbed him i stabbed him in the chest now fortunately kevin he's all muscle so and i stabbed him in the breast in the in the what's it called the peck i stabbed him in the peck so it didn't go in very far but you know it, i stabbed him uh, it, 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 I don't know, probably an wow. inch or something, you know, uh, and uh, um, there was that, yeah. And then, you know, I'm looking at a guy who's, you know, like seven foot nine or something, and, and he's looking down at me, uh, and, and I look at him, and I'm like, I just fucking stabbed you, didn't I? And he looks at me, and he's like, Are you just fucking st-? Uh, <laughs> I thought, here's the moment where we see who Kevin Nash really is, because he has every right to fucking knock me across the room, right? Like, what the fuck? You just fucking stabbed me, <laughs> you know? But he didn't do that. He smiled at me and he goes, I think you stabbed me, pal. <laughs> yeah, he, he, is a, so, he, he is a big fella, isn't he? He is a big he was, fella. Also, just the sweetest guy, you know, uh, which makes perfect sense because if you're that intimidating, you better start being nice to people if you want to have any friends. Yeah, that's um, true. That's true. And he is. He is. He's so such a sweet guy. But that really tested his metal, and he took it like a ch- fucking champ. In fact, I felt so bad about it. I sent him a case of beer the next day. Bless you, bless you. And and why why no no sequel to the Punisher? Because it was so good, and mm-hmm. I think everyone was expecting another one. And I suppose yep. we had to wait. I think eight or nine years for Dirty Laundry to come out. The the, the Punisher short, which I've got to say is fantastic. A lot of people know this story, but I'll walk you through it. It's um, pretty simple. Um, yeah. Of course, they were wanting to do a sequel. They we went through several writers. We, in fact, even Rob Zombie once uh, was gonna was wow. gonna direct it. We were talking to Rob. We were talking to a, a lot of really interesting uh, writers, um, and we couldn't. For whatever reason, we just hadn't found the story yet. You know, we hadn't found what the story could be. No writer had cracked it, you know, yet. Um, and then uh, I um, brought in, I, I, w- I went to Walter Hill. 
I mean, Walter Hill's done 48 Hours, The Driver, you know, Hard Times. Uh, yeah. Walter, he wrote Alien for fuck's sake. He, the guy, <laughs> he's a master. And, he, and in my opinion, uh, a master director. Absolutely. Without a question. Uh, if we could get Walter Hill, Walter Hill, Thomas Jane, Punisher, I mean, what what else do you want? I thought we had this in the bag. I got Walter. I talked to him. I pitched him the thing. He loved it. And we talked about story. We went into Lionsgate, and essentially, Walter said, "You know, I'll I'll write it. I'll direct it. You know, you'll get a you'll get a script. Give me notes. All that stuff." Um, and they said no. They turned him down. They turned down Walter Hill. So, and by this time, we've been through several permutations of what the story could be. And Lionsgate was always, you know, sort of like, that's not it. That's not it. That's not it. And when I brought them Walter Hill, I thought, you know, for me, this is, there is no better version uh, of, of what the Punisher is, you know. And I'd been talking to them about making it more gritty, uh, about what the fans had responded to in the first one and what they hadn't. And how to uh, bring them something that was the ultimate, you know, pure Punisher film. Uh, uh, and uh, once they turned Walter down, I th I thought, well, these these guys just aren't. They just don't understand what this movie should be. A couple weeks later, they brought me. They said, "Here, we've hired a director. We're writing the script now, and we're going to shoot by the end of the year." Now. What I didn't know was that they had a certain amount of money to spend by the end of the year, and they'd allocated that to the Punisher film. So they, what they were doing was rushing the Punisher Part Two into production. Right. They were rushing it into production so that they could spend that money by the end of the year for whatever tax thing. Um, and so they hired this woman, um, and uh, I, and I, I said, "Well, gr uh, great. You know, let me see what her." Um, why you hired her you know what's her first film and she, they showed me this soccer movie and i'm looking at this soccer movie and i'm not saying this movie's good or bad what i'm saying is what the fuck how, how did you get from the kid it's like a kid soccer movie to the punisher um and i, I just couldn't i i thought oh my god this is going to be a disaster and i couldn't do it i just said guys i can't I can't do this. If you want to wait and find do this right, I'm all in. But I'm not going to rush into production because you guys need to spend some money and hire someone who doesn't give me any indication that you know what kind of movie you want to make. You know, and you know they went ahead and made that movie, and it it opened at the box office. I think it was three million bucks. In other words, it tanked. Um, which uh, I knew it would. You know, it wasn't rocket science. You know, the, the formula wasn't uh, promising. Yeah. You know, and uh, without ju without any judgment, it's just sort. You know, it's casting, right? You want to cast the right people for the right parts. Um, whether that's a writer or director or a cinematographer or a set designer, you know, to c accomplish what you want to do. Um, which clearly they didn't really know. Um, you know. The sad part is that the head of Lionsgate, uh, a year later, I saw him at a function, and he came up to me and he goes, I just want to apologize. We really fucked up. You know, we should have waited. We hired the wrong people. And I was like, thank you. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, that's the way it goes. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, you want some something done right. You don't want to rush it. Um You know, the the the, the Punisher is a great movie. You don't want to follow it by... 
you know, just rushing things, it's just not going to be great. Um, so The Punisher, fantastic mo- mo- movie. The other movie that I absolutely got so much love for is Deep Blue Sea. Um, mm. I personally, I am scared to death of sharks. I will mm. not swim in the sea, full stop. I won't mm-hmm. even do the backstroke in a swimming pool. Only because mm. my dad at a young age told me the grate at the bottom of the swimming pool is to keep the sharks out. So he did that to stop me from going in the deep end. Fantastic. I love it. I know. Your dad's my kind of guy. <laughs> well, to be honest, my dad chucked me in the swimming pool when when I was a baby to teach me how to swim. So, oh, uh, I don't know if that so much. I know. He's ex-army. You know, he's quite, <laughs> um, you know, straight uh, straight down the line. But My, my old man was very similar. <laughs> well, the thing is, I've got two little girls, so I'm definitely not going to be throwing them into the pool at mm-hmm. at, 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 at a young age. Um, but Deep Blue Sea, I saw it for the first time in a very old cinema, and I ab- absolutely loved every minute of it. And reading up about Deep Blue Sea, apparently you did one scene swimming at the side of a real shark, but you only did the shot once, and only after... You had recorded all, you filmed all your parts for the movie. Is, Funny, right? Is that true? And did they Absolutely. do that right at the end, just in case that yeah. shark was a bit, you know, uh, hungry? Absolutely. That's right. They waited till we got everything else in the can, and then they threw me in the real ocean. They flew us all down to some place, I forget, some tropical place. Um, and we all, uh, uh, you know, went, a whole crew of us, you know, went in the water and uh, started uh, swimming around with the, fucking, with the shark people who would attract the sharks, right? With the chum, oh, blood, no. water. <laughs> the sharks would come and we're down there and we're filming. And, uh, and, it's, and yes, a uh, camera uh, assistant got bitten. Um, wow. By, because he was paying out cable, right? As the, camera because everything was tethered uh, you know, as the camera as the guy was swimming along with the camera you had to have a camera assistant paying out the cable right as he's floating around and because his arm is flashing out like that as he's paying cable out uh, it became a, it, and it just like looks like his, his white you know fleshy arm and that's what attracted the shark and bit him on the arm and how scared were you you know swimming with the shark were you were, were you okay well, with it or yeah, I mean, it was an adventure. We had, um, first of all, you know, they weren't twelve foot sharks. You know, they they were. Uh, I, what were they? Uh, I can't remember. Thresher sharks, maybe. Um, and they um, not these particular sharks were not notoriously known for going after people. You know, they they so the the setup was not insane. You know, it was like. Yeah. You know, we had a lot of people around. We have a lot of professionals uh, there, uh, and uh, all in all, it was a very successful day and uh, and, uh, and an adventure, you know, for me. I, and what I, a way uh, to end the production of the movie! <laughs> yeah, I loved it, <laughs> and it's great. One of the scenes that I like is is uh, when you swim down and get the license plate from the shark's mouth, because right, I didn't right. realize that that license plate is the one from Jaws. Yeah, that's the Jaws uh, nod, nod to jar, Jaws there, yeah. We just did the 20th anniversary here in Hollywood at the Chinese Theater. I know, it makes uh, me feel uh, old. Last year. <laughs> that was fun. We got a whole bunch of people in the theater, and we and we, and I was there, and uh, we did a little interview afterwards, and it was very neat to see. It was a full theater. People 
people like that movie. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, the movie still stands up. You know, with mm-hmm. with uh, so much C- CGI now in movies that yeah. can take away from the, right. the character work of the actors and the story. I think that that many movies now use way too much C- CGI. Um, yeah. But Deep Blue Sea definitely lives lives still up there. You know what they achieved with the sharks were amazing. I mean, what was oh. your favorite? What, what, what was your favorite memory of working on Deep Blue Sea? Well, we had we had a giant mechanical shark that, that they spent millions of dollars on, and it was a beautiful piece of art. You know, it was an absolutely gorgeous, giant, fully functional robot mechanical shark. And it was tethered. Of course, it had these giant cables coming out of its ass. Um, which ran, and we had a big pool. We were filming at the where they they shot the Titanic. They built the water tanks for the Titanic, and that's where we were shooting. And we had the guys who had built and are operating it. And there's all these massive joysticks and controls how to drive this giant mechanical shark with a huge engine in it, and it, it worked. I, can you fucking believe it? It was an amazing achievement to build that shark. And most of the shark that you see in the movie is is that mechanical shark. Of course, there are some pretty crappy CGI shots in Deep Blue Sea, you know, but it was 1999 or whatever the fuck it was. So, so, uh, you know, and at that, uh, a little disappointing, but, uh, but the mechanical shark was, I, I just thought he was, I was just in awe. And of course, there's a scene where I'm riding the shark at the end, right? I jump on, you know, and I get tied to the, LL Cool J shoots me with a bow and arrow, you know, and shoots me right in the, in the leg and it goes into the shark and now I'm stuck to the shark and now we're we're diving. So we're shooting that scene. And so of course they have to strap me down to the shark. Um, And there is no, you know, uh, release, uh, you know, uh, they can't, it wasn't an easy thing for me to free myself from when they strapped me down to the shark and they were going to ride around and the shark's going to go down and it's going to dive under the water and swim around. And we got cameras in there and they said, listen, if anything goes wrong, here's a little air here. They gave me a little tiny, uh, air bottle, right. With a, with a nozzle on it. Like <laughs> stuck down there. You can use this to breathe. <laughs> <laughs> That's very considerate. <laughs> so of course the first take the shark goes haywire you know i'm strapped down to the shark i can't get off you know they call action and the shark starts diving and it was swimming around and it's doing its thing and suddenly and i could hear the motor i could hear something in the motor go like eh, eh. and then the shark just kind of starts diving and it's a huge pool i forget how deep it is but it's deep you know 40 feet 50 feet i don't know and this fucking thing starts diving toward the bottom. And I'm like, this can't be right because the cameras are way the fuck up there. So now we're not even on camera. And this shark keeps diving and diving and diving and diving. And finally, it just slams into the bottom and of the uh, pool. And I'm like, okay, I wonder when I'm going to have to – where was that little air bottle they gave me? And, <laughs> and then the shark starts now uh, – Going up, right? Obviously, the guys upstairs were like yanking back on the joystick, get the fucking shark out of the water. And it starts going. Now it's going up, 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 up. They had it going up so fast because they wanted to get me the fuck out of there that when the shark broke the water, it actually broke the water and went up and landed on the side of the pool with me wow. on it. Wow. And I wish, I wish, I wish we had that footage. <laughs> um, 
And because, you know, the guys up top, they told me later, they were like, get him up, get him up. You know, they were just like, pull all the way back on the joystick. And this thing, and that thing was so powerful. I don't know how many pounds it weighed a lot. It, it, we broke the water and went up onto the side of the pool, uh, with, to be honest. So that was fun. What What would you say is your proudest moment in your career, Thomas? Mm. Uh, that's a... That's a heavy question. I don't yeah, know. Very I mean, deep. <laughs> I've had a lot. I've had a lot. Um, I've had a lot of, uh, you know, I, I loved playing uh, Mickey Mantle. Yeah. Um, I really had a, just a terrific time uh, doing that. Yeah, directed by Billy Crystal, of course. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that was a dream, you know, wake up every day. Not only do you get to play baseball every day, but you also shooting a movie. I mean, that was cool. Every day, and we shot at home, so I got to sleep at my house. Oh, that's awesome! Uh, for most of it, we went to Detroit for a little while, but uh, that was fantastic. I really loved shooting uh, Hung with, with Anne Hage, yeah, who's now my girlfriend. Yeah, um, I loved, uh, I loved, um, I loved 1922. I, I was proud of the character that I created for uh, Stephen King's 1922. Um, yeah, you've got quite a um, a um, you know trend with Stephen mm-hmm. King because mm-hmm. obviously you've got The Mist, which awesome movie. Um, you've got 1922, Dreamcatcher, and obviously the new project uh, with, mm-hmm. Ren- with Renegade. I so, do. I'm, so I'm presume- always been a Sorry, Stephen King fan. I'm a, you know, my mom, you know, is a big reader. My mom and dad are both big readers. Uh, so that was one of the gifts they gave me as a child: the the gift of uh, reading. You know, yeah. reading a book, discovering novels. So we, you know, so I've read all of Stephen King's well, most most of Stephen King's stuff. Um, so that was also a big joy for me to be able to, uh, do a couple of movies that, uh, I think are pretty, pretty good uh, up there in the canon of Stephen King stuff. You know, I love the ending of the mist. I'm proud of that. Oh, the ending. I mean, I don't want to spoil it for anyone, but wow. I'm proud that we do our guns there and <laughs> talk about bringing a tear to a man's eye. I'll tell you what, it's just amazing movie. Keeps you on yeah, the edge all, all the time. And I can imagine you had so, so much I would say fun doing it because it's got yeah. to be great to to sink your teeth into a great character like that. Um, oh, it was just a blast, and I love Darabont, you know, and we we worked really well together, and um, and I lo- I also pre- very proud of the short film that I produced and and uh, you know executed, uh, Dirty Laundry. Oh, it's fantastic! Uh, that is. Uh, yes, I've got a lot of you know, I'm lot to be out, yeah. lots to be uh, proud of. So when you're not working, what do you do to relax? Mm. What do you well, like right doing? Now, what I like doing is holding up in my hand. By the way, I hope this quarantine, I could have this quarantine could go on for another year for me because <laughs> I'm i am in a beautiful house. Yep. Um, I'm, I'm with a beautiful uh, woman and we uh, make food every night. You know, we read, we work on uh, projects together, you know, so we're... Uh, and I, I really, I mean, to tell you the truth, this is like one of the highlights of the last uh, few years for me. Like this, like every day is, and you know, sure you can't go outside, but fuck that. Who wants to go out there? I, you know, I, I've got, you know, we we have a little steak, our frozen steaks delivered, and <laughs> <laughs> we make a fire. We sit around and make a fire, and we read, and we uh, talk, and we have fun, and we're creating stuff together. We're creating a little project together. 
and um, I'm having an absolute blast right now. And, and that's that's you know, I, I'm a big reader. Uh, I'm always looking at um, stories. Uh, you know, I just love it. You know, I, I love the arts of what we do yeah. and how multifaceted it is, and how many different elements uh, there are to play with in order to make something. You know, that's actually you know entertaining. Uh, it's so such a challenge, you know, and it's uh, it's so hard, but it's also so fun, and it's, it's so and it never stop learning. You never stop figuring out the little secrets and the little tricks and the and the little uh, truths, you know, that make uh, that make that separate sort of an average piece of work from a great one. And that's sort of my study, you know, uh, and, I, and I absolutely love to do it, and I love reading comics. Um, because that's an art unto itself, uh, and uh, you know it's a pretty, uh, pretty full. Uh, really, if it if it's not so- somehow connected to the art of what I love, um, I don't do it. You know, to tell you the truth, um, yeah. uh, you know, even if it's cooking, you know, cooking, you can learn about dramatic arts from cooking. You know, yeah. it's incredible, really. Uh, so I'm having a lot of fun. Well, hope- hopefully, it won't last a year because. You're coming over to the UK. You were set to come over to Wales Comic Con uh, last weekend, but obviously yep. with everything that's happened, and um, it's just been advertised that you're coming back to Wales Comic Con in August for all the UK listeners, uh, which mm. is going to be awesome. Are you going to bring anything from Raw Stu- Studios with you uh, to I the convention? Was absolutely hoping that I can get a suitcase. Um, full of books, you know, uh, just to um, to give away to some of the uh, some of the fans who really like comics and really like that kind of thing. But yeah, I'm I'm hoping to do that. You know, that would be awesome. And a great graphic novel. Well, that's the other book we published. Was a, we did a graphic novel of my film Dark Country. Um, yeah. So I'll hopefully bring some of those out too. You know. Well, and, I'll, and I, I'll I'll uh, I'll I'll be there nice nice and early. I go twice a year it's an absolutely awesome convention i've got to say um great great venue as 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 uh, as well so i'm looking forward to august and um i've noticed in quite a few interviews that you do you've normally got a cat on your lap and Uh and um i've got about four cats somewhere around but um you you, you're also a lover of cigars Mm-hmm. I have noticed, and I like a cigar every now and again, a Monte Cristo mm. number five. Um, mm. What sort of brand good. brand do you smoke? Um, well, I, I, the, I smoke them all, anything Cuban. <laughs> anything I'm Cuban, very, yeah. <laughs> anything Cuban, there, all, there's so much to be said for each one, you know, whether yeah. it's a Bolivar, Bolivar, a Partagas, uh, or a San Cristobal, uh, you know, or a Romeo. Uh, I mean, I, I, my, but my go-to is consistently the Upman, uh, the Magnum 50, uh, and also the Half Corona. There's a short Half Corona. Um, uh, that Upman makes uh, that is, you know, you can smoke that in 25 minutes uh, or there's the Magnum 50, which, you know, I could smoke all day. Yeah. And, and the, those, those are my, t- I'm consistently ordering the Upman, Upman Magnum 50s and the other one. And then I go back and forth with everything else. You know, I always have those. And then I usually get, you know, something, something else, you know, I'll get a Pargus or, you know, uh, you know, uh, try something you know interesting, a Quintero, or a, you know, and then there's the, the cheaper Cuban cigars, which I also like. You know, which they sort of the second tier 
Cubans, which you can't really get. But whenever I'm in Canada, you can get them at the shop, you know. So I just, I just like the uh, variety, you know. Yeah, I, I, that's that's uh, that's what I love. And recently, I've taken up a pipe. Yeah, I know. I noticed actually. Um, yeah. And what do you, and what do you put in the pipe? Is it just no no normal tobacco, or is it a different oh. type? Oh, whatever you can put in it. I mean, there's a lot. <laughs> it's 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 locked down. Whatever you can get in there. <laughs> so I, I recently uh, in January they were I, I directed an episode of The Expanse. Yes, oh, amazing. And uh, that's when I picked the pipe up. You know, I thought that I needed something. You know, maybe a, a little bit. Uh, you know, um, you know, fatherly. Uh, so I wore a sweater. And uh, I picked up a pipe, and I always had it on set, and uh, that was sort of my that was my directing gear. Um, <laughs> I had a and and it stuck with me. I was like, you know, I like this pipe, uh, so now I put in a little Captain Black. Uh, I like mixing it up with a Cavendish and a Cherry. Yep, and that's my thing. Yeah, I, I I really like the Black Cavendish, and then I mix it with uh, Cherry, and that that makes for me is is pretty pretty sublime. I like it a lot. No, oh, that's awesome. And before, uh, I'm just very cautious on the time. Before we wrap up, because I could speak to you for hours. Um, mm. we, we we haven't covered half the movies and TV programs that I absolutely mm. love. Um, mm. But before well, we, we'll have to do it again. Oh, definitely. That 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 would be amazing. May maybe in August. Uh, yep, when yep. when I see see at Wales Comic Con, that that would be fantastic. Before we finish, um, I want you to give the listeners a movie that you want them to watch. Of of yours, um, of mine, yeah. Oh, no. So, what film mm. should the listeners? I mean, to be honest, they should be watching them all. Um, mm-hmm. But if you mm-hmm. had to name, well, no, what, I would say with this during this t- this COVID, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right, the vid. Now that we're all locked down because of the vid, I would uh, yeah. watch the. I would watch John Carpenter's The Thing. Right. Okay. Right. What is that? It's a bunch of people stuck together in a kind of lockdown with with a disease. Of course, it's an outer 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 space, but you know it's based essentially a, a fucking horrible thing that you do not want to get. <laughs> Carpenter, Carpenter's a yeah. thing. There's only one. There's only one. There is no other thing. There's the thing, and it's John Carpenter. There's actually the Howard Hawks thing, which is also really worth a watch. Yeah, you know, absolutely love the Howard Hawks uh, thing. So there's that, and then there's Carpenters, and that's it. There we go. Get everyone to watch watch the thing. Well, Thomas, thank you so much for giving me your time mm-hmm. to interview. It's mm-hmm. been an absolute pleasure, and mm-hmm. it's definitely a tick off my bucket list uh, yeah. to chat to chat. Sorry, I'm sorry, it's so late over there, pal. But it was, it's uh, all right. it was uh, I enjoyed the interview very much. So we'll have to do it again. You've been listening to Be More Super, the podcast. It was kind of a crazy, fun experience. I love the show, guys. You're awesome. Listen, my whole family loves it, man. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to hit the subscribe button and share it with your super friends. My world, it means hope.